16. So if you have your Bible, would you, would you uh, locate that? And uh, I think Jay's going to put it up here on the wall for us. Romans 1 and verse 16, that's the, the theme, the key verse of the entire book of Romans. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, and then to the Gentile, okay? So just let, let that soak in just a bit. Paul is shouting right now to the church at Rome, and he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Give me your eyes. I want, I want, I want you to understand. What is the gospel? First gospel fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for, I'm not ashamed of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I'm not ashamed of the fact that Jesus, second gospel fact, was buried. He took my place, he took your place in the grave, okay? And I'm not ashamed, third gospel fact, that Jesus Christ arose from the dead, it says on the third day. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. And the final gospel fact is this, and Jesus Christ was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. Isn't that neat? So I so just want you to understand, the gospel is facts, historical facts. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. Jesus Christ was buried in the grave dead for me. Jesus Christ early Sunday morning arose and he's not dead anymore and he was seen alive by over 500 people. Now why wasn't Paul ashamed of the gospel? Go back to the text. Let's see. Verse 16. Romans 1. Still got it up there, Jay? Because the facts of the gospel, when believed by faith, bring salvation. Brings new life. Brings brings Jesus, just like he did with, with Nico, brings Jesus into a person's life. So people who were spiritually dead, what happens? They come alive. People who were spiritually blind, what happens when Jesus comes in? Now they can see. People who are chained to sin and Satan are set free. That's why Paul wasn't ashamed. He'd seen what had done in his life and what he was doing, the, Jesus was doing in other people's life, okay? Today, we're going to see the Apostle Paul living this verse out, okay? We're going to see this verse played out, living illustration of what Romans 1 and verse 16 is actually all about. So turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter 26, uh, Acts chapter 26, it's on the back of your bulletin if you don't have your Bible with you today. Okay, anybody have a stopwatch? Because if, if I don't have a stopwatch on me, I'm going to go too long. Anybody got a phone or anything you can, you can time me? Who, who's willing to be my timer? Can you time me? Okay, uh, give me two minutes, okay? And I'm going to kind of set, set the scene here before we dive into Acts 26. But if I go longer than two minutes, some of you are going to start sleeping, aren't you, Perry? So we don't want anybody sleeping. Now, Perry never sleeps. Myron occasionally, but never Perry, yes. Okay, so you ready? Two minutes, uh, and, and this, is, this is the scene. Go. Two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that Paul came into Jerusalem and he was misunderstood. The Christians misunderstood him. The Jews misunderstood him. The Romans, the guards, the soldiers, they misunderstood him. 
Then he's uh, arrested, and now his nephew, his sister's son, overhears a plot, right? And they're going to kill Paul. They're going to murder him. Acts 23, 40 zealous men take an oath. I will not eat, I will not drink until Paul is dead. Okay? The commander of the troops believes the nephew. He says, I believe you, and 400 Roman soldiers march Paul out of town in the middle of the night. Okay? Five days later, they're now in the Roman capital city of Caesarea, and Paul appears before the Roman governor, and his name is Felix. Say it with me. He's not a cat. He's a Roman governor, okay? Um, and he is now going to see Paul, and they're going to attempt, the Jews are going to attempt to convict him. Okay, Felix is a procrastinator. He puts it off, puts it off. How am I doing? How much time have I got left? 45 seconds, okay. Uh, he doesn't want to tick off the Jews, but he doesn't want to sentence an innocent Roman citizen to, uh, to prison or to death. So he stalls for two years. Acts 24, 27, Paul's just in limbo land there in prison. Now, Felix gets himself in trouble. They recall him to Rome, and now the next Roman governor after Felix, his name is Festus, okay? And he's not an uncle. Anyway, the Jewish leaders try to get Festus to return Paul to Jerusalem. They're going to ambush him and kill him, okay? Paul says, I'm not going along with it. How am I doing? How much time? Five seconds. Peels to Caesar. I'm going to Rome. So sure enough, Paul's going to go to Rome. Now go to Acts 26, okay? Two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. Well, I knew if, if I didn't do that, I would go on for about 12 and some of you would be snoring on me. So anyway, that's, that's the reason I did that. We're in Acts 26. Let's look at Paul in action. And I'm telling you, he lives out Romans 1, 16. Let's stand together. And uh, we're going to read from verse 17 to verse 23. You ready? Here we go. Let's declare God's word together. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the boldness and the courage of Paul. <laughs> and uh, Lord, I'm asking that uh, you might begin doing a work in our hearts, in our lives, so that we too would be bold and courageous when it comes to the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. 
Um, Lord, uh, I, I pray that now in 2014, that we who know your son personally, who've had our lives changed from the inside out, might be willing to speak up, that might be willing to share as you bring opportunities our way. Lord, I, I guess I want to pray especially right now for those who have, are here and they know your Son as Savior and Lord, but they've never spoken up and told anybody about your Son Jesus and what you've done in their lives. I pray especially for them that even today you might nudge and prompt and encourage them so that when you bring an opportunity their way this next week, Lord, they might step up and with boldness and courage speak the truth in love. Now, Lord, uh, we invite your spirit to come and be welcomed here in your church. Uh, stir us, Lord. Revive our hearts and our minds and our wills. And we pray all these things in the awesome name of your son, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And all the church gathered at Walloon set as one. You may be seated. If you got your Bible, I want you to go back to chapter 25. I want to show you uh, uh, the courtroom. It's kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting scene. The, the next day, Agrippa and Bernice, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and all the prominent men of the city at Caesarea. And at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Okay, can you picture that in your mind? Let me help you a little bit. King Agrippa comes with his sister, Bernice. She's the acting queen. And yes, they are living as husband and wife. Agrippa and Bernice are decked out in their purple robes. You tracking with me? Can you see them? And they're walking out with all of this pomp and circumstance. They're wearing their gold, jewel-encrusted crowns. And now Festus, the Roman governor, walks in, and he's attired in his scarlet-red Roman outfit. Then dozens of Roman officers, commanders, centurions, all in their formal wear come out. And I would suspect there were trumpets and drum rolls and all the VIPs of Caesarea enter with pomp and flair and pageantry. And everybody's, everybody who is anybody is going to come there and they're going to watch and they're going to see this, this guy named Paul. And finally, it says, uh, Festus gives the word, okay, bring in the prisoner. And in from the side door, shuffles in, and according to tradition, this is what Paul looked like. You ready? It says that he was short. He was balding and he was bull-legged. It says that Paul was a man who had thick eyebrows and a large hooked nose. All that's according to tradition. We don't have a picture, but that's what people wrote about him. Uh, he's wearing a plain prisoner's tunic, chains on his hands, his wrists, chains on his feet, and in shuffles the Apostle Paul. And in case you didn't recognize the king, Agrippa, let me just tell you a little bit about Agrippa's family tree, okay? Uh, Agrippa's great-grandfather was Herod the Great. 
And you recall that in Matthew 2 and verse 16, he's so upset that someone would say, where's the king of the Jews? And he wasn't talking about him, Herod. Remember what he does in, in Matthew 2, 16? All the little boys in the vicinity of Bethlehem are slaughtered because only Herod was the king of the Jews. That was Agrippa's great-grandpa. Um, Agrippa's grandfather was Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas is the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. Remember why he had John the Baptist head chopped off? Anybody remember? This young girl does this erotic dance, and he really loves the dance, and he says, I'll give you anything. What do you want? And she says, I want John's head on a platter. That's Agrippa's grandfather. Uh, Agrippa's father was King Agrippa I, Okay? And he was the, the king who had James the Apostle beheaded in Acts chapter 11. And then he arrested Peter and was going to do the same thing to Peter, but the Lord intervened and got Peter out of there. And then the next day, he comes out and they say, Oh, you look like a god, Agrippa. And he says, I, I really do, don't I? Do you remember? And, and then Instantly, he was stricken and he was eaten by worms and died, Acts 12, 23. Okay? So this is Agrippa II. Got it? He, he's got quite the family tree, and now he's living in open incest with his sister Bernice, and he's the very last one in the line of the Herods. So that's the background, Okay? And uh, the Romans considered Agrippa II their Jewish expert. Imagine. This guy, he selects the high priest for the Jews. Agrippa II is the one who oversaw the temple treasury. Remember all the money that Jesus flipped over in the temple that day? All, that, all the money changing going on, all, the, all that was going on. It was Agrippa II who oversaw the, the temple treasury. So now Paul appears before the king and the queen and the Roman governor and all the high important officials and all the Roman officers in that city, okay? All the VIPs. Now listen to Paul. Very intimidating setting, verse 17. Jesus appeared to me, Paul said, and he said, I'm going to rescue you, Paul, from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul stands there and he says, Hey, Festus, Agrippa, Bernice, Jesus Christ called me to speak up for him and his gospel. Isn't that cool? First, right out of the gate, that's what he said. And the gospel of Jesus, verse 18, has the power to open the eyes of those who are blinded by sin. And the gospel of Jesus rescues prisoners who are in bondage to Satan. And he probably held up his chains. And it brings forgiveness of sins to sinners headed for hell. So like right out of the gate, he's going after it, okay? New life for those people who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 19. Okay, he's standing there 
all these famous, well-known VIP people. So then, King Agrippa, I want you to know I have been faithful. I have done exactly what Jesus asked me to do. He, double negative, I have not been disobedient, which means what? I have, been dis- I have been obedient. I have done everything that Jesus required me to do. Verses 20 to 22, keep going. I went from Damascus to Jerusalem, and everywhere I went, I told people about Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, Agrippa, the reason I'm here right now is because I talked about Jesus and the gospel, and the Jews weren't happy with me talking about Jesus. And here's the message. Look at verse 23. If if you don't have your Bible, look on the back of your bulletin. This is huge. This is the gospel. Here's the message. Jesus is going to suffer and die. Shed his blood on the cross. And Jesus would then be the first to rise from the dead. And that message of Jesus is light to all Jews and all Gentiles. Okay? Strong, bold, courageous. Okay? And, and, and as he just gets in gear now, it's interesting. Verse 24, the Roman governor Festus interrupts Paul. And the Greek is even stronger than English. You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouts, your great learning is driving you insane. Can, can I just tell you, this is like the nightmare of every preacher, that that someone stands up right now and says, Pastor Jeff, you are insane, right in the middle of the sermon. Can you imagine? Um, I should have had somebody do that. But uh, anyway, hecklers, they're they're tough to deal with. They really are. So right in the middle of his speech to, to everybody, Festus, the Roman governor, says, hey, you are nuts. You are crazy, buddy. Um... And he shouts at Paul while he's speaking and giving his speech. One of my very first times preaching, I was at the Mel Trotter Mission in Grand Rapids. And uh, I had taken the youth group, and there was about 12 teens and me, and there was maybe 30 or 40 homeless gentlemen. They were all men at that time. Um, and what, here's how it worked. If you, if you want to have the night to stay in our facility, we'll give you a sandwich, and then you can sleep, but first you got to listen to the preacher, and that was me, okay? So, so I'm, I'm one of my very first sermons ever um, up there, and I just started, the very first minute I'm speaking, a guy in the back stands up, and he points at me, and he shouts, you're the devil! True story. And I, at first, I was stunned. You know, what do I do? So I said, um, sit down. <laughs> and the guy sits down. And I went like two more minutes, and guess what he did again? You're the devil! So at least 10, 12 times during my 20-minute sermon, sit down! Uh, that became the sit-down evening, and, and for the rest of my time as a youth pastor, Jason, they would always say, sit down! <sighs> so I just want you to know it's happened to me, a um, little different circumstance, um, but I'm impressed with how Paul handles Festus yelling at him. I really am. Look at verse 25. Here's how Paul deals with it. He didn't say, sit down, calm, cool, dignified, 
He says this, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true, and what I'm saying is reasonable. (laughs) What I'm telling you, Festus, are the facts. And the gospel is all about facts. And if you'll allow these facts to soak in your materialistic Roman mind, he didn't say that, that was me, you'll realize what I'm saying is reasonable. And then watch how Paul pivots and turns to Agrippa. This is cool. Verse 26, the king is familiar with these things. And I can speak freely to to King Agrippa. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped Agrippa's notice because it was not done in a corner. Give me your eyes. Why is he turning from Festus to Agrippa? Because he knew the history of this guy. His great-grandfather, Herod the Great, was uh, trying to kill the baby Jesus. His grandfather uh, was the one who took off John the Baptist's head, later had the encounter with Jesus with Pilate. His father is the one who killed the first apostle and tried to kill Peter, and he knew all about the amazing Jesus stuff that was going on. Agrippa, I know from your family tree you know about these facts, don't you? This wasn't done in a corner. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? Do you see the boldness here? King Agrippa, you believe that the prophets predicted the Messiah would come, and you know that Jesus is that Messiah. I know you do. Bold, (laughs) courageous. And Agrippa was in charge of the Jewish temple. So, He was the one who selected the high priest. He was the one who oversaw the treasury. So listen, he could not publicly deny, no, I don't believe in the Old Testament. That would cook him with the Jews. But he also couldn't say, oh yeah, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And and I believe that he is the savior of the world. And I'm ready to do it. He he couldn't do that. So Watch Agrippa. He, he goes into the spin zone, okay? This is one smooth politician. Look at verse 28. Here's what he said. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you, I'm sure it was an English accent, do you think in such a short time, is that English? It doesn't even sound English to me. I'm really good. <laughs> do you think you could persuade me in such a short time to persuade me to become a Christian? Where was that from, Kev? You're, you're a world traveler, okay? From your demented mind, Pastor John. Uh, anyway, he, he just turns and, and, and says, very smooth, do you think in just this little bit of time you're going to convert me, buddy? But Paul is not intimidated. A really good, clever political move, but now look what he says back, verse 29. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, Agrippa, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. I'm praying for you, Agrippa, that you'll become a follower of Jesus. And if you can't do it in a short time, maybe in a long time, I'm going to keep praying for you. And I want you to become what I am only without the chains. So, whether it's today or tomorrow or next week or next month, Or 20 years from now, Agrippa, please know this, I'm going to be praying for you. 
And I'm going to pray that the Lord would do a great work in your heart and you might believe the gospel facts and say yes to Jesus and become a follower of Jesus just like I am. Is that not good? And some would say, but, you know, Agrippa wasn't exactly a good candidate for becoming a Christ follower, was he? This guy was a sinful mess. And he came from a long line of sinful, evil leaders. Can I just tell you something? Give me your eyes. That's exactly the type of person that Jesus Christ came and went to the cross for. Do you understand? Jesus Christ came to seek and to save what? Anybody know the rest? Sinners, lost people like us. So who are the Agrippas in your life? Who are the people who haven't been nice to you, who've been mean and rude and hostile to you and your loved ones? Think about this guy. His great-grandpa tried to kill the baby Jesus. His grandfather killed John the Baptist, the greatest man ever to walk on earth, Jesus said. His dad killed James the apostle and tried to kill Peter. Again, I'm just telling you, this guy came from a sinful mess, and now he's living in incest with his sister. But I want you to go back. Look at verse 29. All Paul cared about was his eternal soul. Paul saying, you know what? I pray to God that you, Agrippa, and everybody else listening to me, you might become a Christ follower just like I am. <laughs> Why? Why did Paul care so much about this evil, sinful man's destiny? Think with me. Because some of us, we'd look at this guy and said, you deserve to fry in hell for all of eternity. That wasn't how Paul viewed him. Paul cared deeply about this man's destiny. Why? Are you ready? Because Paul never forgot that he too was a great sinner. You got it? Paul never forgot the fact, yep, Agrippa, you're a great sinner, but so am I. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, you can write that down, but here's what Paul wrote. He said, I am the chief of all sinners. I am the worst of all sinners. Paul never forgot the only difference between himself and Agrippa was Jesus Christ. Give me your eyes. The only difference between Paul and Agrippa was Jesus Christ and his gospel coming into his life. And what's the gospel? Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. Jesus Christ went into the grave and he took my place. Jesus Christ didn't stay dead early on Sunday morning. He arose from the dead. And the gospel finally says, and he's alive. And he was seen by over 500 witnesses. Who are the Agrippas in your life? Who are the people that you need to start looking at with the lens of Jesus and realize you too are a great sinner? And if it wasn't for Jesus, you were just like that Agrippa in your life. Would you bow your head, shut your eyes as we close right now? And I would invite you just to pause just for a moment now and allow the Lord to take his word and apply it to your life. Lord Jesus, what do you want us to hear from you? What, what do you want us to learn? What should be the takeaway 
for me right now. Could it be that you're here today and you'd believe the lie that you're too much of a sinner? You've you've done too many wrong things. You've participated in too much garbage of this world for Jesus Christ to be interested in you. Can I just tell you, that is a lie. Paul says, I was the greatest of sinners. Paul knew that Jesus Christ even died for King Agrippa. Ugly, proud, sinful, mess of a man. He wasn't too far gone. Jesus Christ died for me. And boy, if you knew my history, you'd say, I don't think you should be a pastor. You're right. Except for Jesus Christ, who changes everything. And he'll do the same in your life, even right where you're seated. Right where you're seated, you can... Embrace the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's facts. And here are the facts. Jesus Christ willingly took your place and mine on the cross, shed his blood for you and for me. That's a fact. Fact number two, Jesus took your place and mine in the grave. Fact number three, he didn't stay dead. Early on Sunday morning, he literally arose from the dead and he did that for me and he did that for you and he's alive and he's seen by eyewitnesses and if you'll believe those facts for yourself today guess what he'll come alive in you he came alive in Nico's life just this year and he'll do the very same in your life even today thank you Lord for the gospel for the facts Lord they change everything And I pray for us as your kids, as your followers, help us this next week not to be shy and timid or ashamed of your gospel. Lord, we've got the best news that's ever been given. So, Lord, help us to treat the best news that's ever been offered like it really is. It's it's great, it's amazing, it's awesome news. And help us, Lord, to remember that the only difference between us and the worst sinners we know The only difference is Jesus Christ and the cross and the empty tomb. (laughs) We praise you for what you do in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray every one of these things. Amen.